Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning. My name is Steve. I used to be one of the ministers here, and uh, I'm very ple- uh, at, it's a great honor and a privilege to be here this morning. Luke's preaching in Chandler, Arizona this morning and asked me to fill in in his absence, and I, I feel quite honored to be asked. And of course, Jason Allison, my uh, daughter and son-in-law, and, and Emma and, and Ethan always worship with you, and Diana's with me today. My grandson, Leighton, and his girlfriend, Sophia, are with me today, so it's nice to be with that biological family. And then I've got this broader family, and uh, also new faces, new faces. I've not seen you before. You have no idea who I am, and you don't care to know who I am, really. It's no big deal. <laughs> Uh, but it's just, it's just nice to just come back and see, I don't know you. That's how it should be. And next time there'll be other new faces here too. So keep doing what you're doing and calling people to life in Christ. Uh, before we go any further, let's pause and have some prayer for Luke and uh, the preaching of the word. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the life you've given us even today. How good it is to be together with the family of God. And we're thankful that you always call us higher and to be better and nobler and deeper and richer. And today we even want that. We lift up Luke to you today. We know that Chandler is going to be greatly blessed by his message today on Gideon. That it's a stellar message that I know you're going to use to resonate in their hearts. And I pray for our assembly here and wherever the word of God is preached today. Soundly and forthrightly, I pray hearts are connected with the God who made them and the Savior who redeemed them. May God be praised in Jesus' name. Amen. Caves can be dangerous places. A group of 17 high school students in New Zealand went on a field trip and visited one of the popular caves there. They followed the well-worn path deep into the cave, and they stopped at this uh, uh, metal platform that overlooked this deep chasm. Some of the boys realized it was a little shaky, so to scare the girls, they started jumping up and down. What they didn't know is that the men who put that platform there were not qualified engineers. On the day they put the platform there, they didn't have the right drill to put bolts into the side of the cave securing that platform. They used nails instead, and the platform collapsed, and those 17 students fell to the chasm beneath. Only four of them survived. Caves can be dangerous places, and no one is more familiar with the caves of life, whether they're figurative caves or literal caves, than David himself. We're so intrigued by his life. He he begins as this gentle shepherd boy outside Bethlehem to become a a great giant slayer to king-elect. He moves from being this composer of psalms in those hills of southern Judea to the, to the serving in the court of King Saul. He moves from hunted fugitive to becoming Israel's king. He's humanly gifted to the very core of his life. And we're drawn to him, not necessarily at all because he is like polished marble for a person to emulate, but because we relate to his struggles. He's flesh and bone and blood. And he, he wrestles with spirit and soul and body, just like we do in the course of our life as well. But through all the journeys of life, he never was alone in the journey. He had friends. 
Terry Lineball tells about moving her family to Kentucky, and that when she was still putting things away, her seven-year-old little boy went on a bike ride. He came back and said, hey, I made some new friends. And she said, great, a boy or boy, a girl? He said, a boy and a girl. Well, how old are they? Well, I didn't ask. I thought it'd be rude. I think it'd be okay to ask how old your friends are. And so he went back out, he goes back out to ride his bike, comes back. He says, I found out how old they are. The girl's 65 and the boy's 70. <laughs> you know, kids know the value of friendships, don't they? They form them quickly and they can change them quickly and move to another one. It's a journey of just learning friendships as we grow into adulthood. The sad part is, as we become adults, uh, there are interferences. We could become more sophisticated. We become more independent and self-reliant. Uh, we're more cautious and careful. Um, we are, we are self-absorbed so much. All of that coupled with our hectic, demanding schedules, filled calendars, uh, bills to pay, work... You know, th th things interfere, and, and we find sometimes when we, when we alert ourselves to our life that we don't have the friends that we should have, and that's a problem. Uh, we're worse for it. The Mayo Clinic did a study on friendship and concluded that, that when we have good friends, our, uh, we increase in health in so many areas. We, we increase in a sense of, of belonging, that friendships boost our happiness, they give us confidence, and they even improve our physical health and sense of well-being. A study done showed that in 1990, 3% of adults in the United States said they had no close friends. In 2021, they studied and found that 12% of adults say they have no close friends. And are we surprised? I doubt that we are. God, in utter selflessness, created us with a need not only for himself, but for other people. Because he's, he is a God who exists in community as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's only known existence in community. So when we're creating God's image, we need people. He looks at Adam. It's not good that, that man is alone. And so he creates Eve, first of all, not for a romantic relationship, but for friendship. We're thankful for a God like this. Here's the truth, that friendships are fundamental to a life of abundance. David did not get to kingship, nor did he stay effective in kingship without friends. And so we, have, we, we are able to learn from him today. Uh, we learn from his close friend, his best friend. We learn from his mighty men that were friends, and we learn from God's man. And when he finds himself in the caves of life, literal, figurative, they're with him at key moments to prompt him forward. You have those caves as well. You can't do life without caves. There are different depths. There are different levels of darkness, but we have them. And at those moments, we need friends more than ever. First of all, when we're in a cave of fear, we need companions. Now, King Saul's anger and his jealousy we've seen has been growing. Luke last week preached about uh, uh, Saul throwing spears at David because of his increasing jealousy. Because J David is growing in popularity and success. 
And so basically Saul's becoming mentally ill. God has withdrawn his Holy Spirit from him. And this unlikely companionship is formed between David and King Saul's son, Jonathan. This is what we read in 1 Samuel 18. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him, loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, David is tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Now, note the kind of friend that was formed in Jonathan's life toward David. First of all, it was covenantal. They formed this covenant. Now, a covenant is so binding that when your friend isn't doing what you think his part is, what her part is, you don't walk away. There is a mutual struggling together. There's a mutual standing together, even if the friendship is imperfect. And so here is so many friendships today you probably discovered are like pop fizz. You know, pop the can, a little fizz for a while, and that's it, they're gone. And what has contributed to that, of course, is social media. Someone has a different opinion than you. You don't like their attitude. With the push of a key, they're gone. They are unfriended. And then I find that in people in my life who differ from me in thought, in politics, in, uh, in taste, in life experience, in opinion, all those people help me form, strengthen my own life and what I think. If we're only around people who are just like us, we're not made better. I mean, no one is different, as different than me than Jesus himself. And him speaking in my life makes me better. Friendships do the same thing. Also, he, he was sacrificial. Jonathan gave David his robe, his armor, his sword, his bow, his belt. So significant because Jonathan, by, by, by normal things in that culture, he was next in line to be king. And what he is doing when he gives those things over, he's acknowledging that David is God's choice to be the next king, not Jonathan himself. And he has this kind of spirit toward him in his sacrifice. He was empathetic as well. Empathy is better and deeper than sympathy. Now, there's some relationships where sympathy is the right thing to do because you don't know the person well. And, but, but sympathy sometimes carries with it kind of pity with it or a condescending attitude. With, so it's feeling for someone. Empathy is when you feel with someone that you've been where they've been, or you share the same kind of, of uh, depth of concern. I like what C.S. Lewis wrote in The Four Loves. He writes, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. And there's a bond that starts to develop. For David and Jonathan, the bond was the purpose of God and their love of Israel 
And God working that purpose out through the nation as he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish and, uh, and, and ultimately bringing the Messiah, Jesus, into the world. Uh, he was also emotionally engaged. We have that rather gut-wrenching scene, 1 Samuel 20, where it says, David got up from the south side of the stone and he bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. They knew they weren't going to see each other again. And so they, they shared. They were emotionally charged. It was this healthy relationship just in what they shared on this empathetic level. And what, they, what they fought together for the name of the Lord. And finally, he was loyal as well. He was loyal. Saul continues in his jealousy. Chapter 20. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse, that's David, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. And Jonathan says, well, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger, and on that second day of the feast, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. Now, this is the curious thing to me with Jonathan. He stayed so committed to David, but he also knew his place was with his father Saul. So he was able to balance the two. He didn't, he didn't stop caring deeply for Jonathan, for David, but he kept going to battle with his father David because that was for Israel. That was for the name of the Lord. Fears are real in life, aren't they? Fears come at us from all direction. And when we're in these fearful times, fearful caves of life, I mean, we need friends like Jonathan that are there with us to help us through them, to think through them. We need defenders for us when the enemies of life attack. 20% of the Psalms deal with the matter of fear. David knew them so well. And we need people in our lives who will help us think wisely and carefully when we're dealing with any kind of fear that comes from any direction. Even Jesus, when he was facing the darkness of the cross, the distress of the cross, the pain of the cross, the horror of the cross. Talk about a cave in your life. He, was the end of his, he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, and Remy takes his men with me. He says to Peter, James, and John, his closest friends, come further with me and pray with me. He wanted them nearby. Now, if Jesus, the Son of God, needed friends near him in his darkest hour, don't you think you need people around you upholding you in the same way? It should go without saying. Second, when we're in the cave of doubts, we need encouragers. So these spears are thrown at David. And David flees for his life. The relationship with Jonathan is broken. And we read in 1 Samuel 22 that others join him. All those, look at his group, who are in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. And he, he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. How would you like that group to lead? 30 of those were his best warriors, and three are called mighty men, and they're named. We have Joshua Bashibeth killed 800 men in one encounter, the Bible says. Eliezer fought Philistines until his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Shammah stood in place when others fled 
and was victorious. I mean, these guys were David's special ops. They had a, they had a certain brutality about them, a confidence about them, and no one or nothing were going to, was going to intimidate them. A rather ragtag group of distressed, in debt, discontented, discontented guys. But now David finds himself in an actual cave. The cave is called the Cave of Adullam. That's his home office. He's got 400 of these ragtag guys. His home office is there in the Adullam Cave. Everything looks bad in every direction. And from this cave, he writes Psalm 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Now that wasn't true, but it sure felt that way. Just like what happens with you and me, right? Nobody understands. No one gets me. There's no one here for me. Nothing could be further from the truth. You know? Typically in our lives, I suppose there are those rare situations, but certainly it should not be true ever in the family of God. There's always people around us. And we're so thankful for that. I remember meeting a lady in our church years ago. She's with the Lord now. But uh, I go see her, and she was the most self-deprecating woman I've ever met. Had the lowest self-esteem. She was in her 70s, maybe even 80, I don't know. But I've never heard anyone speak so poorly of herself than her. And I, and I remember being at her table, and I was, I was trying to tell her what the Scripture says about her and her worth and her value. I gave her some things to work on. I said, can I come back? And I'm like, yeah, I'll get back in my. She gets her calendar out, and it's, it's filled. It's filled. She goes, well, I can't. No, I have my card party then. No, I'm going out with friends. Oh, we're going on a trip that week with some friends. And I, I was dumbfounded. You have, and she, she would say over and over to me, I, and nobody, nobody likes me. I don't have anybody. She said this all the time. I said, what do you mean you don't have anybody? Well, they don't really like me. Well, I found out later, scarring words had been spoken to her when she was a little girl. Her father and mother had one child, her, and her father said, I never wanted a girl, I only wanted a boy. And that directed her path. And she couldn't believe that anybody would want her if her father didn't want her. Those kinds of things draw us into caves. Caves where we need people to bless now, these three mighty men of David rose up. Chapter 23 says this. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. 
Now, what's going on here? Well, first of all, these men encourage David by, first of all, giving him undying devotion. What did they do? They heard the heart of their king. Now, David, I'm sure when he said that, was thirsty. But he didn't need to go to Bethlehem to get water. There would be springs around him. The water, he was thirsty. It prompted him to think about about Bethlehem, where he came from. So they risked their lives when they heard the king's heart. They risked their lives. David was longing for a home. The Philistines were camped around Bethlehem, David's hometown, and David, God's anointed, is trapped in a cave. It doesn't make sense. Why am I the one in the cave? They're in my hometown. Nothing looks good. What in the world is God doing? It seems like he must be going to plan B, and I'm not in it. And these men heard the heart of David. They ran to Bethlehem, got behind enemy lines, got water, and brought back. What undying devotion. Second of all, they gave him hope in that act. Because that means if they got behind enemy lines... The whole army could too. And that gave David hope as well that God wasn't done with him. There was more yet to come. David was God's anointed and he's going to do great things. We need people like that in our lives close to us to tell us what's true when our hearts, our emotions, our minds are lying to us. And the Satan wants you to believe the lies all the time, that God doesn't notice you. He doesn't know what you're dealing with. He doesn't know what you're struggling with. And you get in that dark cave, man, you better have friends near you to tell you what is true. And you have been such a great family of friends for Diana and me. And, and I, I never like to belabor this issue in our own lives, but you know, when, when our son Justin went through his, his dark season of addiction and imprisonment, you, our friends, came around us, and you embraced us, and the best things you said to us over and over, so many of you hugged us, said, God's not done with him, and he wasn't, <laughs> and today, praise God, by God's redeeming work, he's doing far greater things than he'd ever done before all that dark season happened, and a lot of it is because of you faithful friends, yes. You faithful friends didn't stop praying and didn't stop believing in him and didn't stop supporting us. Thank you for that. And when we're in a cave of failure, we need a converter. We need a converter. Now, unless you're new to the Bible, you are well acquainted with David's failure, his sin. He was tempted and he was unwise. He didn't guard his heart in his life. His men were out in battle. And he saw Bathsheba taking that bath next door, and he had sex with her. She got pregnant, and he was scared about that, so he sends for Uriah, her husband, from the battle to come back. But he's such a man of character, he won't, he won't go sleep with his wife because it's not fair if the other men can't. So he sleeps on the front porch. Well, that failed, so he puts, David puts Uriah on the front lines of the battle to be sure he's killed, so everybody at least think he was with his wife. And David goes on as life. Like it's nothing. Well, that's not going to work. So God sends David, Nathan, a different kind of friend. And Nathan says to David, you know, there's these two men. One, one man had a lot of sheep. He's a wealthy man. And his neighbor had one little sheep that he loved on. He fed from his table. Treated him just like a kid. And then the rich man had company coming for dinner. And so he stole that one man's sheep rather than use one of his own for dinner that night. And David said, that man ought to be executed. 
Nathan said, David, you are the man. And David was exposed and broken before the Lord. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And Nathan went home. The proverb writer says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. And we need the wounds of a friend. Do you have that kind of friend? Do you have somebody who can look at you and say, you are making some bad choices. <laughs> you are going the wrong direction, and I fear for you. I love you. You're my brother. You're my sister. But this is not going to end well. This is what I see in you, and I don't know this person that you're becoming. You have somebody like that? You, you need someone like that to talk straight to you, who's going to be there and love you in those hard caves of your life when you're not thinking clearly and when Satan has got a grip on you. This is the truest of biblical friendships. Sometimes we need a friend to convert us. Now, that word convert, we usually think of when we, we become Christians. We're, we're converts or we're converting to Jesus. But we're converting to Jesus our lifelong journey. Because converting is about repenting from our sins. So we're always turning more and more toward Christ all the time. It's a, it's a lifestyle we live of repentance as we become more aware of what God is up to and what he's revealing in our lives and our hearts. And so we need converters in us. Friends who will awaken us and alert us. Now, Nathan could have said, you know, I'm not much of a confronter. Some of you are thinking that, right? I'm not a confronter. I don't want to make her mad. You know, I'm not comfortable with this. No, he did what he knew he had to do for David's benefit and for the benefit of Israel and the glory of God. He, had, he did what he had to do. See, a friend is someone who loves us when we stumble and tells us the truth when we stray. That's what a friend does. Loves us when we stumble, tells us the truth when we stray. We need somebody to call us out. Now, these are rare types of friendships. They're, they don't come very often. There's few people that are qualified to talk directly that way to you. Few. They almost have to be welcomed to be in that role. Life is filled with caves. And are you prepared for them? By your friendships. Let me give you four things to take with you as you develop friendships. First of all, be aware. Who is God putting in your life? Who is that? Can you name them? Can you write down on paper? Here are people, my acquaintances, and here are people that know me a little better, and here's the core people that really know me, and here's one or two people that aren't going anywhere no matter what I do and how deeply I mess up. They'll be there no matter what. Those, those are the, those, we, and we need all the levels of those people. I don't have time to get into that, but they're all levels of friendships. And we need them at all levels. But sadly, we, 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 we stop at the larger group, you know, and we don't go any deeper. Second, be intentional. That requires investing. Investing time and interest and energy. Be together. Now, it's going to look different for men and women. You know, men typically are going to form deeper friendships by something they do together. 
women don't need to do necessarily. They just need coffee, you know. And if a woman says to a woman, can we meet for coffee? Sure, when, when can we? You say to a man, want me for coffee? Why? What, what, what's his mouth? <laughs> We're just suspicious, you know. Um, there's usually an agenda. And so men typically are better by something, some shared interest they're involved in. Uh, third, be vulnerable. Now, we have to be careful in that. To be transparent, vulnerable takes a high level of trust. And, and to learn who that is takes time, and that's why that comes slowly, because you want to make sure who you speak to is trustworthy, that they don't, they don't manipulate you in it, they don't t- talk to somebody else about it, uh, they don't start preaching at you when you say something honest and real, they just listen, and they respond in a healthy way, they give you time to process and to think that's why these kinds of friendships are really rare. In the movie, uh, a man called Otto, Tom Hanks plays Otto. Grumpy old man. I've known a couple church people like that. Um, I mean, this, this, I mean, Otto is in bad shape. Nobody likes him. But a new couple, a Hispanic couple, moved to the neighborhood, Marisol and Tommy. And Marisol, full of life, chipper, up, takes food to Otto to eat. Slams the door at her face. I mean, one has nothing to do with any happy relationships. What does Marisol do? She just keeps coming at him. She keeps caring about him. She keeps reaching to him. And then she needs him. And he responds begrudgingly when he's needed. He doesn't really like her. He doesn't want her around. And finally, she has to confront him by closing the door. And then he knocks again and she welcomes him in. He tells his story of pain and sorrow and suffering. And something happens in that moment. And he moves from being monstrous to being a little more human. And that's what really friendships do that are good and healthy. Because there's a monstrous part in all of us (laughs) that needs tamed and needs softened. And people who are committed to us will will get us to the point that, that we become more human and more real. I'm glad there's young people in here today because you're still forming all that. You're trying to figure that out. And Jesus is the one who can help you with that. And fourth, be available. And by that I mean, remember, it's not just about you. It's about that person that God has put in your life. What kind of listener are you? What kind of encourager are you? What kind of giver are you in those relationships so that you know, a bond starts to be formed. Now, sometimes you get somewhere in a relationship, you feel like, I can't go any further because this person's not giving back, okay? It's going to be a different kind of friendship. It can't be the one you thought you were going to have. And so you have to develop another friendship further that finally ends up being, and sometimes they're the most unlikely ones you, you wouldn't think about. Now, not all friendships can be to this level of fully vulnerable and transparent and honest and all that. That's why we have to move them very, move into them very carefully. And again, that's a study by itself. Now we're we're going to pause now, and focus on something that David, and Nathan, and the mighty men, and Jonathan knew nothing about. And about that is about our ultimate friend, right? They never got to know our best friend, Jesus Christ. They never got to know him like we know. Jesus Christ is, of course, God's ultimate king 
who came into the world to be our Savior and Lord. But not only that, he came to be our best friend. John 15 says, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. I no longer call you servants, Jesus said, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made, to, I, I've made known to you. Jesus came to be our quintessential friend. He willfully came and willfully entered the definitive cave of darkness and distress and pain and hardship and being misunderstood and misquoted and hated, unjustly tried, and his arms were spread open, and not only were they spread open, they were nailed open for us. And as our ultimate friend, he has only made us better. Now, if, if David's friends made him better, how much more our ultimate friend makes us better because of this supreme sacrifice. You see, Jesus is the perfect friend who will always let you in and never let you down. He'll always let you in and never let you down. Sing with me. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. The bread that we take and the cup that we drink represents the fullness of the friendship of Jesus. And this is the extent he went so that we could know him at this level of being, being a friend. And with him, we can be totally vulnerable and, and fully transparent. And he's not going anywhere, as I already said. He's, he's the one that accepts us as our. And you know when he accepts you, when he accepts you, it doesn't matter the degree to which other people accept you because you have the person that ultimately accepts you. And when he accepts you, then you, you're just better with people because if somebody walks out on you, well, I got Jesus. He loves me like I am. If you don't, that's your problem. It's on you, not me. He welcomes us in. What a friend we have in Jesus. And we just sang, oh, what... Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. And the worst of the needless pains, it's not about having cancer necessarily or Parkinson's disease. The, the, the needless pain is shame and guilt. That's the worst pain to carry. And needlessly, we carry it. And we don't have to. Not when Jesus is Savior and Lord. So I'm going to pray. And we're going to meditate as the guys sing further. What a friend we have in Jesus. You take when you're ready, and then we'll take the cup together. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, how desperately we need you always. We are not sufficient of ourselves to be all that we can be. <laughs> and you saw us in our pain, our struggle, our sin, our rebellion. And nevertheless, you said, I want you. I want you to be my best friend. And so, Father, we're learning, we're growing, and we have far yet to travel. And I thank you, you will be that faithful friend as you always have been. And I pray, and I pray, Father, that, that we never look back, and we never turn back, but love you as Lord of all. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.